how mental health awareness has become a silver lining of the pandemic, next on Remote Space. Hello? Uh, yeah, right. I'm sending that over in an hour. The meeting today? Another one? Hold on one sec. Enough! (laughs) Working from home not as much fun as you imagined? Remote Space explores the tools and philosophies we use as we work more remotely. We'll talk to experts who have mastered remote work, those studying the shift in how we work, and those learning on the run. Here's your host, Doug Thomas. Megan Lawrence has a unique job title at Microsoft. She's an accessibility evangelist. Part of her duties include working the upcoming Ability Summit that anyone can attend online May 5th and 6th. I want to talk to Megan about how the issues for people with disabilities are faring in this remote world, including the growing spotlight on mental health. Let's start with the uh, Microsoft Ability Summit. It's this two-day free digital event that brings together people with disabilities, allies, accessibility professionals. Now, I don't know if other companies do this type of event, but I wanted your thoughts. This certainly speaks to Microsoft's commitment in this area. Yeah, I would have to say that Ability Summit is one of my favorite times of year because it really does allow us to bring together Microsoft employees who are committed to accessibility with our customers, the disability community, to talk not only about what we're up to, but what we're really seeing as trends uh, in the in the larger community. So it is May 5th and 6th this year. Um, I am going to just shamelessly <laughs> everybody go and sign up. It's going to be a really incredible opportunity to really visit uh, this last year of COVID and what that's meant to the disability community. Absolutely. And, and let's uh, we'll get into, this, into that. I should ask, are you speaking on a certain subject? I am. I am doing a panel on the science of mental health. If anybody has been paying attention to media outlets, uh, you probably have seen several articles on the impact of COVID and uh, people's mental health and well-being. And so we're going to really dig in and think about that research and science component. And one of those things I always see that come across the desk when they when people say mental health is the number one uh, disability in the world. Who says that? And maybe just kind of a broad definition of what do we mean when we say mental health? Yeah. So uh, the World Health Organization defines uh, mental health conditions as a disability, and we are the largest disability community in the world. Um, I would also suggest that we're the fastest growing community in the world. Um, We have seen astronomical spikes, uh, you know, not to be alarming, but in the number of people that are uh, being diagnosed with mental health conditions over the last year. I mean, we really expect those trends to continue into year two and into year three. Uh, We call it the blast zone. Um, So we really want to lean in and say, how are we developing products and supporting employees and customers when it comes to these topics of mental and emotional well-being? But let's stop there. What what are these definitions made, right? So I kind of want to paint a spectrum here, which is, on one side, we've got mental and emotional well-being, which everybody has, right? We all have ups and downs. It's our way that we cope with stress. It's our ability to live the quality of life that we want. 
On the other end of the spectrum are people who are diagnosed with mental health conditions. Um, so for example, I have an anxiety disorder, maybe depression, maybe post-traumatic stress, uh, or even something more temporary like postpartum depression. So I'm curious of how Microsoft, as we talk about ideas and, and even products that deal with this, what's, what's something that uh, either is a service or even a product that we've worked on over time that it comes out of this research and comes out of this, especially if it's something in, in that mental health uh, area? Yeah, I think there are several really exciting technologies that Microsoft is leaning into. Um, I'm going to give you one that is important for me, which is how do I really get the focus time that I need in order to disconnect and really get offline in the evenings? And so focus assist within Microsoft Windows is a way to quiet down all of those notifications. You can actually book focus time now through uh, Viva Insights so that it will block again those notifications. Because I don't know if you can believe this, Doug, it takes 23 minutes on average to refocus after looking at just one email or one chat. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So quieting the system down is something that is really important for people's emotional and mental well-being. Yes. In fact, I'll put a couple links uh, in the show notes for that. And I'll just put a general note because I'm always a person if I'm walking by someone's computer in the time where I used to do that, um, if a notification popped up, I would always say, I can tell you how to get rid of those because <laughs> it's just just notifications in general, if I think for everyone interrupt too much. But I, 23 minutes is amazing. I must be a professional because it probably just takes me 20. <laughs> and let's talk about then this this year of what it's meant in mental health. I, I don't we don't need to go and into heart about what the changes in the world that has happened. But I'm curious if you have any stories of something that that has, has worsened or something that uh, some maybe some light that has shined in this time of something that's better that we have discovered in this year that we're all remote and, and working so differently than we have in the past. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, in some senses, we have a silver lining when it comes to COVID because we have, in, as you said, shown a light on people's mental and emotional well-being and people who have mental health conditions. And we've reduced the stigma. We are more open. We ask each other, how are you doing? And I think it's absolutely appropriate to say, man, I'm having a really hard day, hard week. And for those answers to be appropriate. So I think that this has been positive in the reduction of the bias. But let's be honest, I think work-life balance has been really hard to achieve. We see from research that people are working longer days they're working longer weeks. Uh, they're struggling to find that ability to disconnect, as I said earlier, uh, because we do know you have to disconnect to recharge. And so I think that's, that's, that's been super hard. But as I look at something better, I mean, I can say this for myself, which is I personally have had the space to think about what real self-care looks like. I used to travel 40% of the time and self-care was like I ate a salad instead of a burger at the airport. <laughs> Now, I look at I schedule like Tuesdays, I've got a yoga class, Wednesdays, I've got, you know, uh, a meditation class, it's scheduled, I'm really consistent. And that's been a bonus for me. Yeah, I mean, I just thinking back of of myself, and if you get into uh, a certain ages, I look at how even mental health issues, just going to someone to talk to has been in some sort of form uh, that deals with anxiety or problems that 
you know, something like one generation grew up with the Bob Newhart show was probably, I think that as a kid, that was the first time I remembered this whole thing that someone would talk to somebody about a problem in some sort of professional environment till you get into Tony Soprano and, and his whole bizarre world that he has. But it's, you're right that, that what came out as the fringe or that we didn't talk about is now something we almost talk about on a daily basis and ask those questions. And I, yeah, I certainly hope that that care and that authenticity in asking how they feel is something that comes together when we get back into some sort of new normal at some point in the near future. Your your pop reference cultures are quite impressive. <laughs> well, there is an entertainment background in <laughs> that I had. But at the same time, I was thinking, how did I get into, because this, this is a part of the world that I know my parents and grandparents didn't do anything in because they were more on the religious line when they would want to talk to somebody and it wasn't like a, a Catholic type of thing. So um, I was trying to figure that out as we were preparing for this interview, how how we've looked at that in the past. And I, it's amazing. And, you know, you, like a lot of things, you go to pop culture and there's not a lot of pop culture songs about this. So um, at least not at this time. So the I'm curious if you've heard stories that you're. Uh, I guess I should ask this first. You're what your title is an accessibility evangelist. What's an accessibility evangelist do? Isn't that a good title? Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I know it's true. You know, I have the the really deep pleasure of really thinking about how we bring more awareness and education about the accessibility that we have built into the Microsoft suite. Everything from being able to hit accessibility checker. So you always send an accessible email or Word document or PowerPoint uh, to something like live captions where you can have somebody follow along, you know, maybe listening to your voice, seeing demonstrations on screen and seeing uh, the text below, which really engages people with multiple senses. And so I work a lot with with customers in the disability community to help them really uncover uh, some of that goodness. But I also have another title, which is the co-lead of Microsoft employees with mental health conditions. Ah, talk to me about that. Yeah. So that is, you know, a couple of years ago, I will say. So I speak openly these days about having a mental health condition, although that's relatively new. I deeply understand the bias and stigma that comes along with that in my own fear to talk about my condition, uh, thinking maybe somebody wouldn't trust me, I wouldn't get that next job opportunity. But it was when I came to Microsoft and I found a community of other people that we were supporting each other uh, in the mental health community. And we realized we really needed to, to more formalize this community. So Jenna Mira and I put together this uh, employee resource group. And how has that group changed? I mean, has it really changed as we've worked remotely? I mean, or was it just such a worldwide kind of organization that you were already meeting remotely uh, before uh, the pandemic? I would say that it has brought us together and strengthened the community. Um, so we ha actually have weekly meetings and people, it's like people can drop in. Uh, there are folks that always come. There are folks that only come sometimes. But what we want to do is help people know you're absolutely not alone. We've got resources to support you. Everything from how do I disclose to my manager to how do I use my benefits so I, I think it's been a really positive journey for all of us in the community building aspect. 
talking about yourself and dealing with disability in this, uh, again, as you you had mentioned that uh, before we started this podcast, you had been in back-to-back-to-back meetings uh, for the last three hours uh, online with a camera. How have you dealt over the past year at this new type of way of meeting? Since it sounds like a lot of your work is dealing with more meetings than than sitting down at a, at a keyboard and typing, uh, I'm curious uh, if there's anything that you found that has helped you that you've learned over the last year. Oh my gosh! Like journey has a whole new meaning. <laughs> it has been a journey. Uh, so yes, I, in the beginning of COVID, you know, we've just passed the year mark. So when I think about that first three or four months, I had been traveling and working so hard, I did not realize how tired I had become. And once I had the space and was home, I think my own mental health and and, and well-being and emotional well-being improved because I stopped covering as much, right? I had the the ability to... To, to really find again that space for self care, and then this thing called like meeting fatigue—it's <laughs> so real. It's absolutely real. And so I began to find, you know, about halfway through, man, I was more tired at the end of the day because I hadn't had that human interaction. And what I find now is that those feelings of being overwhelmed and burnout come more often. So I have to take smaller chunks of time off more frequently to just give myself that room and that space. Yeah, and our, you know, our group has done that too. We've introduced, I think, Wednesday afternoons or supposedly no meeting days. Every other Friday, they try to keep it no meeting days. Uh, and then one thing, and I'll, I'll, I'll put this link into the uh, show notes, uh, there's a way in Outlook that you can set that and you, and the automatic time that you would start a meeting is not is five minutes past the top of the hour or the, or the 35 minutes past the hour, which is another way of just trying to buffering to give someone five minutes if they need to go to the bathroom or take a, you know, or stand up or something like that. So those are things that I think that are as a group that we've discovered that I think more and more roll out. And I'm, I'm curious to know how much that, you know, that much occurs uh, as we uh, go forward to, as, as we get more of a hybrid situation when we're, uh, some of us are back in the office more. Uh, one thing you mentioned in the, in the last bit was you said the word covering. Can you explain that? Yeah. So, um, you know, for me, covering uh, was very much about my desire to make sure that my mental health condition and my emotions didn't make anyone feel uncomfortable. So I was constantly looking to match, right? So if you have a really high energy, I would bring myself up to be high energy. If you were really low energy, I'd pull myself down to be really low energy. And so, you know, constantly wanting to match you so you never felt like I somehow made you uncomfortable because of my disability was very exhausting. Right. And covering, I know, is something we've we've uh, educated folks on. I'm sure there'll be something about that at the uh, summit also, just, just to plug it again. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the things that you've seen in the last year, either from a company level or a personal level, that you think that will be part of what life is like a couple of years from now in, in, in the way we work? Uh, besides, and we, I think we've talked about this this uh, uh, ability to be more open about mental health, but other things in, in uh, the ability world or, or the uh, accessibility world that we might see? So I, mean, I think there's really two pieces I want to hit on. One is just programmatically. So um, I co-lead the 
mental health working group and steering committee here at Microsoft, where we have five very senior leaders across our company from benefits, learning and development, corporate communications, uh, accessibility and diversity and inclusion, thinking about what that again, that Microsoft strategy is going to look like to really ensure that we're not only creating great uh, environment for people to work that have mental health conditions and or just for everybody's emotional well-being, as well as what are we going to put in technology? Like what are those next gen uh, pieces of tech that are going to help people balance their work life, build better boundaries, you know, these things. But one thing that I loved that you that you just said was, you know, I love that you take the, you know, you can have five minutes at the end of the meeting. And one of the things I think is so important is to recognize that the responsibility of addressing a mental health condition is not on the individual. It is the opportunity of the organization to build cultures of emotional inclusion. And so I am excited by things like being able to set a timer within teams that says, I might be emailing at 10 o'clock at night because that works for me, but it's not going to hit your inbox until you're back at work and you get to tell me when you want to start getting messages. Right. So we're starting to build that culture where we're respecting each other's boundaries and thinking about the whole employee. Right. And that I work for Microsoft and then I have this whole life outside of it. And those two things, you know, make me who I am. Yeah, totally. I mean, again, that delay send came off years ago and everyone called it the drunk filter. So you wouldn't, you know, if you were typing at 10 o'clock at night, that if you turned it on, you would save yourself by 7 a.m. the next morning when you realize what have I written. But again, it, it, it just has other benefits, which I think is some of the best things about accessibility that you think about as accessibility for one group. And it, it basically becomes something that all of us can use uh, and who knows what the condition would be. I mean, no one thought delayed messaging would be something they would do in a pandemic because who thought the pan- uh, pandemic would be uh, something that we'd all be working around for a year. Uh, one of the things that you you said when we uh, talked briefly uh, a couple of weeks ago to set up the podcast was you talked about how you saw humans working really well in some tough environments and, and and just kind of the successes that people have been trying to do. I know I'm impressed by a lot of the folks that have been able to work remote where some organizations thought you couldn't have your folks remote because they would all be playing around and not getting work done. What have you seen of this kind of this human work element inside really some drastic environments sometimes in the last year? So the disability community has been advocating for years for more flexible, both educational and job environments, right? And I think you're right. I think a lot, you know, a lot of the times it was, ooh, you know, you're you're only really working if you're in the office in the last year. Uh, and change has shown us that that's actually not true. And in fact, it has changed whole systems. I work a lot with universities and universities are now asking themselves, not how am I going to get every student back on campus, but how am I going to create a learning environment that's inclusive, that's equitable, and takes into account that online learning actually works really well sometimes. So to me, it's both the proof point uh, that flexible working environments are good being human-centric and what works great for the employee makes a better organization and that we don't know everything and that's okay. Yeah, that's, that's very true on that. Um, 
Megan, I was curious, I, I was when I was doing some research, you have a, a PhD in geography, and your dissertation was on the, uh, tactical map reading and training by persons who are blind or visually impaired. I've always had a thing for physical maps, but of course, everyone now walks around and their map is on their phone. Did your dissertation get into that? I'm just curious how that works for visually impaired folks. Yeah. So, um, well, you're going to make me date myself. Thank you. Um, (laughs) We were really working on a lot of this uh, before there were these things called smartphones in our pockets. Ah, okay. But still, I, you know, tactile images and maps are so incredibly important for people who are blind or low vision as ways of representing everything from, you know, geography, the the physical world around us, um, to things like chemical uh, makeups and anything you might see in STEM education. So even though we live in a technology world, there is absolutely a place for tactile graphics still. But I think that, you know, once I moved into my postdoc, we all were saying like, okay, cool, groovy. We've got like Google Maps on our phones, but like, how is this going to work for somebody who, you know, is blind or low vision? So yeah, we, that was part of the questions that we asked ourselves. And now like fast forward, right? Now we, Google putting out, you know, information very specific to the blind and low vision community and specific mapping um, for people who may have uh, low mobility and use wheelchairs. So, I mean, we have gone from what to, oh, we've got it built in. Yeah. Yeah. Again, just amazing strides that we've we've done in this. Uh, I know what I always talk about accessibility or tools, some of the ones that I've done some uh, training on, like some of the tools you'll find in OneNote. I always use the um, uh, the analogy of, of OXO, a company that makes products mostly for the kitchen. A lot of people know they have these big handles and a lot of people like like these. You know, this was made by someone who noticed that I think it was their partner or their parent had, was having trouble holding stuff and decided, what if I designed something that had big handles on that? And, you know, it became this huge industry that everyone grabs this stuff. I think a lot of folks that, that have kitchens usually have an OXO tool or two. So it's um, it just always to me reminds me that not only does it make good business sense, but again, if we address a small amount of folks to really work on a problem, it's something that that really a lot of people, maybe even everyone can benefit. Yes. I mean, you hit the nail on the head in terms of inclusive design. You know, when we put disability at the heart of the way that we design technology uh, or even the physical spaces around us, um, we're absolutely going to meet the needs of people with a permanent disability, right? So, for example, I have fibromyalgia, uh, which is a chronic pain condition. So I often will use dictation to write with my voice so I don't have to type. Uh, But now imagine you've broken your arm. (laughs) again, right, with your voice, or you could be like so many people who just expect to be able to input information with their voice. I mean, everyone's sent a text message probably with the microphone on their smartphone, right? So to me, this is this is just what I call modern technology. (laughs) This is the way that we expect the world to work and be flexible to meet our needs when and how we need to be met, no matter if that's throughout the day or throughout our lifetime. Wow. I think that's a great note to end on. Uh, Megan Lawrence is an accessibility evangelist at Microsoft. She will be part of the Microsoft Ability Summit, which is a free digital event open to everyone. We'll have the links in the show notes. Uh, uh, Megan, thank you so much for coming on Remote Space. Oh, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to hear more stories and lessons learned from those working in the remote space. 